Welcome. You're listening to the podcast Outlander Soul, searching for the soul of Outlander. With me, Reverend Terry Menifee Gow. And me, Dr. Jamie Reeves. Hi, everyone. This is Terry. Jamie and I were very fortunate last week to attend the Wild Goose Festival in Hot Springs, North Carolina. Jamie came all the way over from the UK to present a workshop there, and I drove the seven hours down to the Blue Ridge Mountains to meet her. We also met up with some friends, Suzanne Stovall Vinson, who also presented a workshop, and Anna Kareem, Jamie's roommate when she lived in Richmond. We had a fantastic time, and we were able to actually record a podcast together on the same continent. Suzanne and Anna also joined in, as did another Outlander fan and Wild Goose participant, Megan. We recorded outside in our little camp area as the evening set in. So what you'll hear are other folks kind of milling around in our campground, some cicadas singing, and you'll even hear a stray drone. It's certainly not our studio, but it's really quaint and rustic and it rings so true. So thank you to all for talking Outlander and the sacred text with us. And thanks so much to Sanford Kogan for letting us use his surround microphone. Without him, we would never have been able to record it. And now to the podcast. As always, be aware, there are spoilers ahead. Hi, welcome back to (laughs) Outlander Soul. We are coming at you, not live, but we are coming at you from the Wild Goose Festival in Hot Springs, North Carolina. Uh, This is a gathering of the spirits and of... Justice and art. Justice and art and all kinds of really cool spirits things that aren't really bound by any religion but have a whole lot of faith to them so Mm. we're thrilled to be here so Jamie was here presenting she and Suzanne Vinson who is a mutual friend uh, invited me to kind of tag along and we thought since Jamie was in the US from being in the UK that we would do a podcast here and And in such proximity to Fraser's Ridge as well yes that's true this is kind of the land of for those of you who um have not yet gotten that far um (laughs) yeah this is an important place within the the later store later parts of the story and we're looking up um at the North Carolina mountains the Blue Ridge I believe it is right so the Blue Ridge mountains and we're looking at a cabin up there that looks like it might be on Fraser's Ridge yeah yeah, so, I'm so I know you guys. So we have we have some guests um, with us. This, this is kind of a live podcast in the sense of we've got other people around and and um, yeah. So you guys want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Anna Kareem. I live in Charlotte, <laughs> North Carolina, and I am a physical therapist. And uh, Jamie introduced me to Outlander. <laughs> She's one of my converts from the early episodes. Yeah. I am, and I love it. <laughs> and I am Suzanne Benson, and also one of the converts that I know um, count in the multitude mm. of those who have grown very fond of Outlander. Mm. And I've read the series, and I believe I'm caught up on all the novellas, but I want back through to make sure I am. You need to make sure, yeah. There's too much goodness yeah. to miss. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to give you a list. So you've read all eight books and then the short stories and yes. novellas and stuff yeah, as well. Yeah, or John series. Just really, really love them. Yeah. So yeah. find myself thinking, oh, this is what Claire would do. Oh, this is like when Jamie and Claire did this. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And, and Anna, you got to your book two, right? Book two. 
and I've watched all But you've watched all the series, series so far. So you're yes. see, so book three has somewhat been spoiled because you've seen yes. seen it. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Cool. And Megan. Yep, and my name is Megan Prince, and I don't know any of these ladies. Uh, I do now. It's one of those <laughs> things that happens just at the Wild Goose Festival. You just kind of meet up with people, and you don't know them, and then suddenly you're, like, really good friends. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's what great. I love about this festival. Um, I am from Asheville, and I have read up to book three. Okay. And I've also seen up to book three, so I have no idea what happens, and I have no idea what Fraser's Ridge is. But I'm very I excited. know when I said it, I was like, "Oh no, this is a spoiler!" But okay. it's not That's enough okay. of a spoiler, really, it's to spoiler. spoil anything for you. So yeah, it'll be fine. But um, yeah, so what we did for uh, for Wild Geese is we just kind of put up flyers and said, "Hey, we're going to be recording, and does anybody want to come along?" And so Megan and Susan, Anna, are part of it. So we're great. It's this is this is fun. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. For this particular episode, though, we were ta- we wanted to talk about because we didn't know who was going to show up and uh, what was going to be here, so we wanted to talk about reading contemporary fiction as sacred text and kind of what that means, and then also to then say, okay, so how do how do we read Outlander as sacred text, or what is the the role that it plays? And so yeah, well, we'll ask a few questions and just kind of discuss things as we go yeah. along. Yeah. So I guess the question is. Have you all considered the stories that you read and or watch in film or television as sacred? I guess that's, mm. it, it is, do you understand what we, we mean when we talk about narrative as sacred text? And so I think Jamie's probably, probably mm. one of the best to, she's, <laughs> she's been, there's a podcast out there called Harry Potter's Sacred Text. Harry and, Potter and the Sacred Text. And the Sacred yeah. Text. And mm. uh, they actually do daily spiritual practices yeah, I know, right? So <laughs> I'm looking at Anna and she's going, <gasps> well, yeah. I've just discovered something new. Um, yeah. The idea of, of doing daily spiritual practices based in the the eight books uh, or the seven books of Harry Potter. Mm. Eight films, seven books of Harry yeah. Potter. Yeah. So. Yeah, so what, um, what Harry Potter and the Sacred Text do is, uh, so it was started by Harvard's Humanist Hub, which is a sort of within the Harvard Divinity School. So they've got a humanist hub that's that's within the Divinity School and how do you think about religion outside of religion, if that makes sense. And so what text then, if you're a humanist, do you use to sort of as authoritative text for you? And so Harry Potter turned out to be one thing that people seem to keep coming back to. Basically what their methodology is, is First of all, that they trust the text. They say we need to believe that the text is capable of more than we've gotten from it before. So every time we read it, we see something new. We need to believe that it's not just entertainment, but if we take it seriously, it gives us serious rewards. The second thing that they say is about rigor and ritual, that by reading the text slowly, repeatedly, and practicing close readings, like Lectio Divina and those kinds of practices, effort becomes a key part of making the book sacred. And that the book's not sacred in and of itself, but, but, but through its rigorous engagement. And so they would say the same thing about 
the Bible too, that it's not the words of the Bible necessarily that makes it sacred, but because a community has read it rigorously and continues to wrestle with it and think about it. And there's a the tradition behind it too. So, yeah. so we've got, you know, however many thousands of years of tradition yeah. of the oral tradition, of the written tradition, of the tradition uh, in uh, different um well, in different traditions, so in the Muslim and the Jewish and the Christian tradition, taking these particular texts. And so the idea is, is can it be applied to other traditions as well? And, mm-hmm. and, and over the years, does it does it really still hold any kind of truth to us? Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, before the parables were, you know, in the Bible, and people got together and said, let's put this in the Bible as a sacred text, they were just stories. Yeah, correct. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. So then they were like, oh, well, we can, we can read it more and so then they said okay let's put that in there mm-hmm. so. it's a gener and 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 the, the word is generative is the word that with that, that yeah that it generates thought or generates ideas or actions or something that it doesn't just sit on its own but causes people to move and act and do something in a different in a different way yeah it, it gives, gives. Well, it calls to mind midrash too, yeah yes scripture absolutely and how the, the wrestling and There's been, um, I, I can put uh, in the show notes um, a link. So there was an article about The Handmaid's Tale being a midrash on gen- on the early Genesis story. Um, oh, yeah. And how how oh, retelling yeah. retelling the early Genesis matriarch narratives through the through the lens of The Handmaid's Tale. Um, so revisioning a story in a different time and space. Um, it's really just like literary critique, but then you add moral ethical component to it absolutely absolutely well you add meaning yeah you 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 add meaning you explore meaning you uh, you take your experiences from your own life and how it interacts with the story Mm. and does it generate meaning for your life Mm. understanding or clarity or Mm. does it change you does it right. change what you do? How mm-hmm. you interact with others? Does it change your relationships? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and how you see yourself as as living a, a good life, a moral life, that sort of thing. Yeah, mm. yeah. How often does it come up in conversation? You know, as you're as yeah. you're reflecting on life, and then mm. all of a sudden you're ta- you know, you're talking mm. about the story, and you're mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, this is what I saw. And this is how excited I am about it." Mm. Totally happened to me with Harry Potter, so mm. I can see why how that happened. Mm-hmm. And so I just now, when we met, I was like, "Oh yeah, Outlander, you can do that too." And yeah. So now I'm gonna rack my brain thinking about it. That, that happened. It's gonna happen. I'm pretty sure. Well, and how, haven't they done studies? And I only say this because I'm on Facebook and I see all the studies that come across Facebook, and mm. clearly that's a very solid solid way of doing my research <laughs> um but, an authoritative but, source right there sorry, man. I thought it's a generative source <laughs> my facebook account but I, I remember seeing something come across having to do with harry potter and the kids who read harry potter being more compassionate mm. oh, lovely. Mm. 
and 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 those who those who knew Harry Potter as they were growing up and had and read Harry Potter. Mm. And I read I read So Harry like Potter the longitudinal effects. Uh, did they do a study so do they measure yeah. them before they started reading Harry Potter no or in the early days? I have no and then idea. Years but, later. But 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 here's the deal is that in in the issue where we find ourselves now, in the place where we find ourselves mm. now, and the need for compassion, particularly um, if for people who are considered, quote, other, mm-hmm. uh, who are considered maybe um, on the outsides and in the margins, mm. the idea that that they're the muggles, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Because we're all muggles, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, we're all kind of muggles. And I keep waiting for my damn invitation to Hogwarts. <laughs> I think you're a little too old now. Yeah, I'm, I'm holding on. As I look at your laptop that says I solemnly swear I'm up to no good. <laughs> the Beatles are on there too, but I have, yeah. and, and, and of course I've got and a dragonfly dragon and amber. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've updated it now. It'll be an email. Yeah. <laughs> oh good, maybe it's caught my spam filter. <laughs> related to that Harry Potter and compassion that I've heard uh, as an uh, artist and minister who mm-hmm. officiates weddings mm-hmm. is that sometimes you're using um, excerpts from Harry Potter as yeah. part of the readings of the wedding. Yeah. Like that's where we are yes. with this series. It's mm-hmm. not just right. writing, right? And so I'm imagining this is an example of Harry Potter and Super Tech. So I expected to do, so I do weddings yes. as well, and I expected to do things with Rumi, yes. and I expected to do things Khalil with Khalil Gibran, I've done yeah, tons yeah. of Khalil Gibran, um, but what I didn't expect was the Velveteen Rabbit. Oh my goodness. Mm. So the whole thing of, are you real? Yes. And, and what makes you real? Mm. And love makes you real. Mm. And I've, I've, re- I've read that, at, I've read that <laughs> yes. at several weddings, and so this mm. was Clearly, the Velveteen Rabbit is a generative text mm-hmm. for many people, and of course, every time I read it, I'm a puddle. Yeah. Yes. Because it, you know, am I real? And then I look at my family, and I'm like, yes, I'm real. Yeah. I've been loved until I'm, you know, saggy mm-hmm. here and saggy there, and, <laughs> and 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 thank you, Jamie, for reminding me that my body actually does produce a person, and it's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. But I, I've been loved like the skin horse. Yes. But my husband sees me as beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And now I'm tearing up because I, it's true. Well, yeah. I'm going to tear up for you and for all of us. Yeah. 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 I think the other thing is so in in that same sort of vein. So you guys are talking about weddings, um, and you know people are choosing texts that are important to them or that give them meaning. You know, in different different faiths come together and do scriptural reasoning which is this practice where you bring the texts that are important to you in your tradition around a particular theme so you might choose a theme around refugee or around love or around hope or something like that and the people who are participating in that conversation will bring the text that means something to them and when humanists or non-religious individuals come they bring texts like harry potter or they bring texts like poems or Socrates or you know like just this whole range of things and and because the Bible doesn't mean any more or any less to them than anyone else I've brought I've had Einstein in Mm -hmm. weddings Mm -hmm. um and 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 I've had some other humanists uh, because I do okay so 
because I'm an actor and mm -hmm. because I'm in the theater community in Richmond and because the theater community, many in the theater community have felt <coughs> marginalized by the church mm -hmm. because of sexuality or mm -hmm. because of just general belief, mm -hmm. um, my niche okay. after I became ordained was to do a lot of weddings in mm -hmm. the theater community. Mm -hmm. And I did same-sex weddings and and weddings for that weren't recognized by anyone. First wedding I did was a same-sex union. And so the readings that we've done have been, many of them have been very secular. And so the Velveteen Rabbit was one. Of course, Rumi has been in there yeah. as well. But I've also done things with Einstein for somebody who was marginally Episcopal, <laughs> but who was much more, you know, agnostic mm. than anything. And it, it, some of the stuff that, I, and, and Edgar Allan Poe, and oh, wow. yeah, just beautiful, really cool yeah. things mm. that are spiritual and that touch your soul, mm -hmm. but that are not traditionally religious that are not traditionally religious mm -hmm. correct mm -hmm. and you know Annabelle Lee I think is is it just mm -hmm. a poem of deep and dark love yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's a little it's a, it's a little a little we'll wait till you get to the end out letter <laughs> Uh, no, 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 no. We're She's not at kidding. the end of She's Outlander. Kidding. We're not. That's a joke. We're not. That's a joke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is an actual podcast about Outlander. We've been like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, speaking of love, like, don't people, we were just talking about this, people hold up Claire and Jamie as, like, the love category. Like, this yeah. is what it means to have, like, real enduring love. Yeah. And I'm just like, part of me is like, okay, that's not real. You know, mm -hmm. maybe that's a fable. And part of me is like, some of this is quite real. Yeah. You know, when they when they go into like, oh, well, you know, they meet years later. Sorry, they meet years later, and they're okay, you're good. Yeah, she's good. <laughs> she's she seen season no, three. She yeah. knows they get yeah. back together. It's like, yeah. Oh well, you know, we are, we have different you know wrinkles in different places now, but it doesn't seem to matter. That yeah. sort of thing. That's like very real. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, not all couples are like like you know. Sometimes mm -hmm. Jamie is too good. <laughs> Yeah. It's like too amazing. You yeah. know? I'm like, have a flaw, man. <laughs> <laughs> just one. I want to hate you just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so Leary. <laughs> True. Leary I made mean, me true. hate him just a little bit. <laughs> and so did Geneva. So if you you've read book three, right, Megan? You've read yes. book three, so you know what happens with um, Jamie and Geneva. Geneva is the woman who worked at Hellwater who forced who, him into who, oh, who yes. was the yeah. But you've not read it. You've but only you've seen, seen it. You've seen. Yes. Right. In the television show, they do it differently huh. than they do in the book. And the in the book, it made me hate him just a little bit. Mm. It didn't mm. seem like it seemed like more like a choice. Yes, and 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 so there's there's a moral issue between what Geneva does and what he does. Mm. And so I have, and, and without getting into it too much, yeah, for the we can folks. talk about that in another episode. Because so, there, yeah. there are there are children in the tents near us, <laughs> and we don't we'll want to get careful. into too much of that. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, I I agree that you know I've Jamie is pretty damn perfect, <laughs> and he's redheaded on top of it. <laughs> Terry's a ginger, by the way. I'm a ginger, <laughs> and I do love redheaded boy, <laughs> and so he's. He is, he is a, he's a fine specimen of a redheaded man. Yeah. So. 
Well, the, there's a there's a uh, like a meme that goes around in all the Outlander fan sort of community stuff of I'm in love with a fictional character. Um, yeah. 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 So, and Finding Fraser, which I haven't read yet, but is a, a book about kind of a real life. Why didn't I bring that for you? Yeah. Because I have it. And have home. you read it? Yes, I've read it, and mm-hmm. it's it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, but you're right. So the woman that I work with, Karen, and she'll know when I call her out. Um, <laughs> and so she she always talks about her boyfriend, mm-hmm. Jamie Frazier. Mm-hmm. You know, because she always talks about, and this is my boyfriend, Jamie. And she has a lovely husband mm-hmm. who is very much in love with her. And she is very much in love with him. <laughs> but she always talks about her boyfriend, Jamie Frazier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, we all want this, this person mm-hmm. who is perfect mm. but in in these instances he's not I mean he really mm. there's some instances that and and in book four when you get to book four there's a couple of instances that I just go you know ah mm. Jamie why'd you do that you know mm. but I understand why he does it yeah well, and mm. certainly the the not um, they're not rushing to each other spilling all the gas yeah correct there is a, a mystique to each of Seeing one another as they are in the current moment, they mm-hmm. see themselves as they were when they left, perhaps. Mm. They hold uh, back. They hold back. Yeah. And yeah. So when they reunite, you mean? When they reunite. In, in Voyager. So yeah. I'm thinking, you know, that to me is something of a flaw. Yeah. But I can't just hit it on one or the other. Yeah. But is it? I mean, I so. So I'm I'm the kind of person who unfortunately spills my guts all the time. I might resonate with that. And and it it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work for me, right? Right. Particularly after I've had a drink or two, I share way too much information. And you're on a double gin and tonic at the moment, so we'll see what happens. And I haven't had food in a while. So so the sharing bit, I'm I'm wondering too if. So I've actually taken, generatively speaking, mm-hmm. as we're talking about the text, mm. I've actually taken some of what Claire does in holding back yes, yes. as being something that I could probably aspire to a little bit. Mm. Because truly, I I do overshare. And I see people, this goes to our conversation the other night, and you weren't a part, you weren't mm-hmm. a privy to this conversation, but sometimes people have said that they feel intimidated by me. Mm. And some people have said that they feel intimidated by Jamie. Yeah, or by and Suzanne. I hold back a lot, so I don't know that it's about I, I the sharing of information necessarily. I mean, I live out loud in many yeah. ways, but resist much mm. sharing. So mm. I actually can identify with Claire and being protective of right herself and her heart mm. um, in that situation. Particularly after Frank. Particularly after Frank. You know, and Frank, I, I'm not a Frank hater. Nor am I. I can appreciate I'm not a Frank hater, but I I, I will say that the pain after that would mean that, you know, you, and and honestly, that you would hold back. And honestly, there have been times that I've overshared, and I think I freaked the other person out too bad, that it hurt me to to see them freaked. Mm. Yeah. Right. And it's not, sometimes it's not about the thing itself it's just about everything's coming at them at the same time yeah and and this is how i think so my extrovert personality can be overwhelming Mm. and yet your introvert personality jamie can Mm. be overwhelming for someone else Mm. so so i'm wondering you know is there an extroverted piece of it that that you pull out of the text 
that helps you because Claire's Claire is not an introvert. She yeah. seems to be an extrovert. She and Jamie both seem to be extroverts. Yeah, I um, think they both are. Yeah, yeah um, but but her ability to hold back some in her extroversion mm. actually isn't is a goal for me. Mm. I don't know that I've really thought about that. There are times when I thought Claire was an introvert in the sense of, but I think it's tainted by the fact that we're seeing everything from her perspective. So we hear her inner monologue. And so we think she's in her mind all the time when actually she might not be. It, it just might be a part of the. Amy Grant. Hey, are you headed? <laughs> is that where you're headed? She has nothing to do with my past. Right. I'm go reconcile something that doesn't need to be reconciled. <laughs> Blessings on you, Dan. Good luck, man. Woo! <laughs> and this is part of the wild goose. People just walk by and tell you what they're thinking and what they're doing. And, and, and there, so we love it. And there, and there are so many hugs and group hugs. Oh, my God. Uh, so much love. It's been... You know, so I was really scared of the evangelicals. I have to tell you. <laughs> Because I've had almost two gin and tonics, and I'm oversharing. Um, I was a little scared of the evangelicals. This is like drunk history, right? So I was a little scared of the evangelicals because I've been an evangelical, and I've been in that. We know how they are, and we know how they are, and I know all of their flaws, and I know their extroversion, and I know their introversion, mm. and I know the hands in the air and the love and everything and um, I was a little scared but honestly I've not experienced anything negative here mm, and I have great. to say as a former evangelical who is now an Episcopal mm. and happily so <laughs> I am I am very impressed with this place mm. It has yeah. been a safe space in my observation mm. or certainly myself and then anyone I've seen walking around mm. and being here it's a place mm. to be fully who you are and mm -hmm. you are mm -hmm. and that's a gift it's been a gift yeah yeah Absolutely. and people share here yeah i've noticed people yeah. share complete strangers start telling you about their life and and or you start sharing between the two of you in a way that you don't you don't get Dude, in yeah. normal conversation so the guy that that just walked by. Right. I've had a serious conversation with him today, yes. and and I think we will continue to be in touch. And it was just uh, kind of we went to three of the same sessions today, and it was just kind of like, all right, we're kindred spirits. We need yeah. to just say this right. and let's right. and let's do let's something just about it. it. But yeah. do you know his last name? I don't know his last name. I know his first name, <laughs> and I know where he lives. But that's all I. That's, that's all right. I know. That's all you know. Yeah, <laughs> and I know he's got a kick-ass T-shirt. So, and then, yeah. yeah, and that same person uh, expanded my view mm. in just like a two-minute conversation. Mm -hmm. I want to go talk to this guy. Now. I know. <laughs> truly, truly, I'll find he him gets later. to the heart of things. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that—that's like that's what wild goose part of it is, right? Is you, like you sit down and you're like, all right, let's talk about depression. Right. <laughs> let's talk about God. And Outlander. <laughs> right like you go up to someone you don't know and you said to talk about god they run away right yeah, yeah. Right. or yeah. you need to know god like i know god and, yeah. right and, and god needs to look like this yeah 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 so it's been a really great thing yeah anyway anyway so back to yeah so back to outlander we were deep in conversation about introversion and extroversion and oh things that we've learned from the text things that yeah i have a question 
for for everybody actually. So we're talking about you're not you're not sure if Claire is an introvert or extrovert. Yeah. Possibly extrovert. Yeah. But what about Roger? Mm. I was wondering that too. Good question. What about Roger? I think Roger's an introvert. I think so too. Mm. I agree. Mm. I agree. And Brianna, I don't know, but it's it's really tough for him. So Mm. like where I'm at in the books, it's like we're on the cusp of something. Mm. It's like they know something's happening, and Mm. you don't know something's happening. But you're just kind of like, what's gonna happen? Yeah. We won't spoil it for you. No. But, I mean, as far as things to learn from, and I've said this in other episodes, and, and I would, yeah, I think Roger, besides Jamie and Claire, is probably my third favorite character, or oh my God, favorite I character. But Do until I? we start talking about Lord John Gray and, and, oh and we, and, and then I'm like, okay, maybe not. But still, I, Roger's up there, right? And I think for me, it's been really interesting to... We, we're starting to talk about call in some of the episodes and so we'll spend we'll do an episode on roger's call and his vocation and as not spoiling anything but as you go along the series he he wrestles with that in a really traditional way but in a non-traditional way too it's, very profound. it's beautiful how diana has sort of uh, and i and we're on first name basis here um <laughs> how to, <laughs> How di- together. Yeah, yeah. How Diana has sort of. Um, we're, we're going to her house for dinner. <laughs> She's gonna serve drinks as well. Yeah. But it's gonna be much better gin. <laughs> That's what happens when you move to England. She's Catholic. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> they know the best gin. You're so drunk. I am a little. <laughs> I'm done. Okay. Anyway, all that to say. So when we're talking about call, and we'll talk about this more when we do the episode on Roger specifically, but I think for me what's been really important in that story is how his call is dependent upon the context and what that he's in. Absolutely. And and so as I think about what I'm called to do and and what is happening around me and what I'm able to contribute and what I'm not and how that changes depending on where I am and what I have power over and what I don't and so when I yeah when I think about what I think God might have called me to do I find I think about Roger a lot so yeah yeah. He shifts and changes. He has the ability to shift and change more than any character in that group. Yeah. Except possibly Ian. Yeah. Yeah. Ian, yeah. Yes, can be my hero. Because, because both yeah. of them have dealt with serious blows throughout the eight Trauma. Books. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> serious it's, it's trauma. Serious trauma. Well, and, and, and you but all the characters also, have dealt with serious trauma. Because he's of that age, so he's like figuring out his identity and all yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he makes choices. So when Ian comes around, he make, he ends up making choices. Do you hear that? Yeah. I think it's a B. The largest B ever. The largest B ever. That's not good. It does. It sounds like a drone. I can hear it in the microphone. It is a drone. There's a drone. It's the largest B ever. Because it is. <laughs> I'm totally keeping this. <laughs> Welcome to the goose, guys. Um, the way of the goose. 
there was a drone, and we thought it was a bee. <laughs> the largest bee ever. <laughs> um, so, <sighs> anyway, um, oh what, were I, what was I saying about um, Roger and uh, Ian. Ian? Roger and Ian, their adaptability, their, their, adaptability, their, their the how trauma. they've shifted, and, and the trauma they've and experienced. And the trauma that they've experienced. Yeah. And so, for the folks who read... Uh, book three. Mm-hmm. You haven't really quite gotten to book four where there is some issues and trauma that mm-hmm. happen with Roger and with Ian. Mm-hmm. And the trauma that they've that they go through uh, does inform their ability to adapt. Mm-hmm. However, the trauma that they go through for for anybody else I think in the text Mm. may not have gone the same way. The yeah. fact that Roger stays because he loves, the fact mm. that um, Ian stays because he loves mm-hmm. is is pretty impressive mm. for the both of them. It, it shows maturity beyond their years, mm. particularly for Ian, mm. who's very young, mm. but it shows incredible maturity beyond his years. Oh, there it goes again. You can hear them. You can hear them, yeah. everyone. I feel like we're in the Hunger Games. <laughs> And the and was, was it the yellow dragon in, 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 in the yeah. mountains of North Jack, Carolina? Yeah. Get in the yeah. tree! <laughs> <laughs> we better run. There's this is, this is not the first time I've thought of the Hunger Games since being here either. Oh, so. I do love. Okay, so the whistling. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. The whistling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did film yeah. it around yeah. here because I was I was oh, looking for. Mm. So I'm an actor, and so I was looking for the auditions for that. Mm. Because seriously, they were filming around here, and I know people who worked on that. Mm. Yeah, Hunger Games is a generative text for me. Mm. Yeah, it would be um, for me yeah. too. There's so many themes in there. Right. That are just oh. like, whoa. Yeah. And especially for like this day and age. You know? mm. Yes. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, maybe that's that's okay. So that's a good question. Let's shift a little bit. So, what other stories we've named Hunger Games? We've talked about Harry Potter. But what other stories do you revisit regularly or that you think about as, as, um, yeah, as you're thinking about life and are there other, other stories, other thoughts that come to mind? This is not a popular, uh, book, but mm-hmm. I guess it might be a popular film. Mm-hmm. I just go back and back to Cold Mountain. Oh, we were talking about uh, that this morning over yeah. breakfast. Yeah, I've, I've watched Cold Mountain, I don't know Mm. You know, mm. <laughs> and there's something very simple about it, but there are some like deep things there. That mm. I keep like like the characters and just the the heart that um, what's the dude law's character? I can't remember. I, his I, I don't remember his name. I can't remember his freaking name. But, uh, um, Inman. Just mm. the heart that Inman brings to to his like just just to trying to get back to this one person, mm. and it just. For me, as someone who, who doesn't have very many like like positive male role models, mm. I, for some reason I feel like that just is, it draws me. Mm. 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 So maybe that's just me. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I always think of him eating because he's always looking for nourishment. Mm. He's always hungry. Mm. And so when I think of him, mm. I think of him, so we were talking about this this morning, so he ends up he finds a, the, the baby bear that's dead. Or no, he finds the mother bear that's dead in the book. In the book. It's not in the film, yeah. I don't yeah. think. Where so is he, it? I, I, I don't know. I've not seen the film. So, so in the book, he finds a mama bear that's dead. And what he does for mercy 
mm. is he kills the baby bear because mm -hmm. the baby bear is going to do nothing but cry for the mama bear until it starves to death. And so he kills the baby bear and then he eats the baby bear because he's starving. He's a, he's a Confederate soldier who has gone AWOL mm -hmm. and he's going back to his home. And so he eats the baby bear, and at the very end of the chapter it says, and he eats him and he tastes like sin. Mm. Mm. Oh. And I'll never forget reading those words. I think words are beautiful, first of all, and I, I, I think they're an art just in writing them. <coughs> and I say this as a writer, but also because I appreciate artists being able to, like Suzanne, mm. um, Suzanne Vinson, and go to SuzanneVinson.com. SLS Vinson? It's Suzanne L. Vinson. Suzanne Alvinson. <laughs> right. But what I'm saying is, is that, you know, to be able to, to end a chapter with, and it tastes like sin, is pretty intense. And then I think about the chapter in which he runs across a woman who is in hog killing time. And he sees the food she prepares for him and it's she makes him grits and ham and red-eye gravy and he almost cries mm. because there's fat glistening on top mm. and he's been starved mm. you know and i'm like because he he desperately needs nourishment and then there is i don't know if this is part of the book i've watched the movie far too many times I've, I've never seen the movie at all but um, the book was very impressive. There are some Union soldiers that show up and they basically just like take everything by force, like, especially mm -hmm. food. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they're like mm -hmm. also starving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And but their their method of going about it is to just like fold her up, take her, her baby, and like put the baby out in the cold until she says where you know all the food is. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like the differences between their their choices of how to get what they want, you know. So interesting. Huh. Interesting. Is is how much power you have and how you choose to use your power. Mm. Mm. Wow. Mm. What other stories? Cold Mountain. What others do you visit? I used to read Lord of the Rings every year. Mm. And I haven't done that in a long time. And I probably should. But the autumn, I would always read Lord of the Rings. Mm. Um, you could read it that quickly? The whole thing? She has got a brilliant. <laughs> I would usually, I would usually start curls, in September. I would usually start in September, and I'd be finished by Christmas. Yeah. It took me like a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. But I used to do I that every year. To be like oh gosh. <laughs> Don't embarrass me. But yeah. yeah. Um, I went to a. Well, uh, okay. I went to a Lutheran youth gathering way mm -hmm. back in high school, mm -hmm. and I went to a, a workshop on um, Lord of the Rings and reading it from a Christian perspective. Mm -hmm. And while Tolkien wasn't actually a Christian himself, he was great friends with C.S. Lewis, mm -hmm. who was. Yep. And so a lot of C.S. Lewis's um, sort of thinkings about how to create literature that lasts and has meaning mm -hmm. um, and Christian you know, overtones and everything mm -hmm. kind of went into his writing. Yeah. The kind of theme yeah. That. yeah. So they were called the Inklings. The, it was yeah. them two and Charles, Charles Williams, Williams, which we've already talked about in a previous episode. So. Yes, we have. Yeah. We have.
we talked about him as far as romance theology and yeah 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 so they were they were all very close they met very they met often to talk about the works that they were doing yeah at a pub in oxford yeah. yep 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 yep, yep. And I've you been guys to that club hear. in Oxford. The Eagle and something. I don't remember I, I what the... Remember. Eagle and Child, I think, is the name of it. Yeah. If you guys are wondering what that sound is, <laughs> and you live in California... <laughs> Those are called the, cicadas. Cicadas are the correct name, but in the South, we call them locusts. <laughs> so, you hear the locusts. We call them did. Katie did. We call them Katie Dids, too. Katie Dids and locusts and all kinds of things. But if you're wondering what the sound is, I'll never forget. So when I was in seminary, my second year, I had a roommate. Mm. Her name was Cheryl. And she was from Santa Barbara. Right. And Cheryl had never heard... Southern insects. This sound before. <laughs> and so when I go to sleep at night and I hear sound you're hearing right now, I think it's the most pleasant, wonderful I sound I love it. Ever. Yeah. It reminds and me of home. Unfortunately, she was in Hebrew. Mm. And Hebrew is a seven-week course, and it's it's four hours in the morning and four hours to eight hours of work in the evening, and mm. the next morning you do it mm. again. And so she was sitting there, she's like, what is that infernal sound? <laughs> what is that sound? And it was driving her bananas, and it was, it was the cicadas. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's all context, guys. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. Context. So other sacred texts, I, mean, I can think of examples on behalf of others faster than I can for myself. Yeah. Um, Harry Potter has certainly been one of those that I've revisited mm. again and again. Mm. Um, Outlander is one that I want to, but I've been savoring the moment that I can, and mm. I want to make sure I've read everything. But then for some, it's Jane Austen. Yeah. You know, and for others, and, and one that... Um, I've done at home as a series of unfortunate events. I yeah, love that. Yeah. I mean, I love that that book. The, the books, books are amazing. Are wonderful, and I and I will since y'all nod both ways, you know, to the Outlander series. Yeah, both the TV and nod, the books. The TV is fabulous. It's mm. so well done, mm. um, and I think it'll draw people in to read the books, just like the twelve-year-old. Mm. Another one that we've caught. Um, an imagination with that I'm bonding with over my son is Fablehaven. Oh, the by, series, yeah. The series by Brandon Mall. Right. I don't know that one. Perhaps. Well, and a lot of younger beings, um, I think it's spirit animals, is a very. Oh, wow. That might explain why I've seen so many t shirts mm-hmm. here at the festival where people like have so-and-so is my spirit animal and it's just an image of an animal like it's not like it's not ironic or anything well, but is, i wonder there's a greater depth to spirit animals too they're back uh, yep the drone is back not yeah. a cicada yeah. yeah well speaking of bees i mean the secret life of the bees yeah so wonderful by student kid i could go back to that i have a couple times i really yep. love it and of course it's interesting that so many I think the adaptation was really good. I mean, Queen Latifah is fantastic. Yeah, she really that. is amazing. She is just she's a natural. She is beautiful in that film. She she plays. I don't remember the name of the character, but the the lead woman, uh, the lead black woman that that takes. The, oh, shit. 
I don't remember any of the characters' names. Yeah, I would have, I mean, it's one of those that I have not read in a mm. while, but is a sacred text on my bookshelf. Yeah. And we've called our books in seminaries so many times yeah. that that would be okay. Yeah. I do think about that. So the number of times that I've moved and what books have I hung on to and which ones I haven't. So and part of, partially some of it is just kind of what do I have an emotional attachment to. And just because I have an emotional attachment doesn't necessarily mean it would be a sacred text. But I think about these are the ones that I might want, re want to read again or the ones that really shaped me. So a couple listeners have talked about the Poisonwood Bible as being a text that they go back to. I went back. Uh -huh. It was formational for me. I had just come out of a missions experience, and so I so identified with kind of the fundamentalist Christian male, you know, and all the stuff that was happening in that story and being on the mission field and how all that's done. Now that I'm probably, what, 15 years post all that, I went back to it to read it, and it pissed me off oh. so much. <laughs> that I was like, you know what, I'm not here anymore. This doesn't speak to me anymore. I find this abusive and I do not want to spend any time in it. And so while I... At that point, it didn't ring true anymore? No, no, it still rings true, but it was just like, you know what, I don't, I don't want his voice. I don't, this is, I find this so horrible how he's acting that I just don't even, I don't even want to engage in that anymore. I would love, and we're going to read it for my book club, and it's on the list. And so I think I'm probably going to force myself to do it again because there were other parts. Ada's, Ada's voice in that book was what meant so much to me the first time, and I think it would still. But yeah, that was sacred to me at a particular time. Now, whether or not it still is, I guess, is the question that That's I have. Interesting question. Like, is there a difference between a sacred text and like a guiding text? Yeah. Or that's a great like, question. It, some, is there something that sticks with you versus something that is just there for with you for a time? Yeah. So it makes it formative. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Yeah. I, I, mean, said, I think I said the wrong word. No, no, no. no, no, no. Wrong words, actually. I, I, I think you said it exactly right, but as you were saying it, I was thinking, oh, maybe that's part of what I'm trying to is what has been formative and what has become sacred. Mm. Because I'm not returning to every book that I've loved. Yeah. 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 I, I think The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo oh. was one of those formative books. When she goes to the man who rapes her and mm -hmm. curves something in his body mm -hmm. was one of those moments I was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a this is a formative text. I don't know that I want to reread them. Yeah, but I know that that I want to see every movie that came out about mm -hmm. them. And I want to yeah. I want to introduce my family to these yeah stories. Yeah, because I found them to be that important. Yeah. Well, I, so we were talking about kind of you know Harry Potter's methodologies around trusting the text and rigor and ritual, but we didn't really get to the third about what also makes a text sacred is reading it in community. Um, that scholars of religion explain that what makes a text sacred is not the text itself, but the community of readers that proclaim it as such. And so the same applies for them when they talk about Harry Potter. And so when we talk about a formational text, that's a very individual experience. Does it become sacred then when we talk about in community with one another 
or where um, it becomes um, formational for a community. Yeah, like it 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 makes it moves a community behind whatever it is, justice or love or. Does it become what I'm trying to say is? Does it have to become formative for a community? And what is the criteria by which we decide that it's formative for a community? And who gets to decide? Yeah. Is it just the fact that, like, we have an Outlander fandom? Yeah. And yeah. is that community enough? Mm. Enough. That's that. Mm-hmm. That's the word. Yeah. That I've always grappled with. Is yeah. What is the marker? What is the threshold for a community and it being formative? Yeah. Well, there was a... Okay, so there's been critiques of the of the Harry Potter and Sacred Text podcast. And, I, and I'll just kind of read one of the critiques. It says, According to their methodology, if I wanted to engage Fifty Shades of Grey or Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs with enough rigor and in community with, others pe- uh, with other people, then those texts, too, would become sacred scripture. And for me and my little community, so it sort of evacuates the word sacred and scripture from their traditional meanings. But in thinking about it, I would say that I would argue that that this whole idea of kind of it's relative um, lies not just in the issue around trusting the text and around rigor and around community but also to an additional factor so we talked about earlier about generativity that it needs to generate something a movement a thought an action a change a transformation in some particular way and it also needs to carry what I would say maybe a moral weight or maybe maybe not moral weight because that sounds a little strange but a positivity and not just a positivity in the sense of it's a good story and it ends well but positivity in the sense that it moves you toward something better that it encourages life that it pushes toward affirming something about the human experience or saying encouraging us more toward wisdom or knowledge or understanding that it's growth I guess is more what I mean instead of positivity as you're describing that I can't mm. help but think in the non-fiction perspective yeah. and think about Brene Brown and Brene Brown's work yeah, and think absolutely. about love yeah. and how revolutionary these conversations among women and others yeah. um, and the movements that have outpoured from yeah. all those yeah. Um, so memoir. And, yeah. Um, sharing your own personal story in the context of the relationships you're in mm. with the wider world. Yeah. But I think Lovey Strauss. If you guys have read Lovey Strauss and the work that, so he was an anthropologist back in the early 20th century and discovered that really stories given in different. There's really only a few stories in the world. There's only about seven. And, um, so, yeah, and, and, and Megan's over there going, yup, yeah. <laughs> there's, the, like, there's the, like, coming of age. Yes, there's the, like, there's the loss of innocence, which yeah. is a part of that. Yeah. So, so there are only about seven stories in the world. And so, Levi Strauss will say that each community takes the same story mm-hmm. and adapts it to their community and to their context. And anthropologically, He's been able to trace the same story through South America 
and that story has lasted through years and centuries and contexts, mm. but has shifted a little bit to fit whatever need that community needed. Mm. Well, I mean, just seeing you uh, move your arms, I, all of a sudden I go, oh, one of mine would be The Alchemist. That's yeah. Right. That yeah. I turn to. Yeah. The Pilgrimage by the same author, Paulo Coelho. Yes. Mm, I just picked that up. I've just started reading it. Yeah. Mm. I mean, he hits. So, thanks for reminding me because I was racking my brain because I do read. <laughs> uh, but uh, Paulo Coelho does, like in all of his books, he hits these. His major theme is this pilgrimage. It's your journey through life. But mm. there's one book about, maybe it's a prostitute. It's something that's like love in 12 seconds or something. But it's the eternal story of love and what it looks like and how does it... You know, it's a book about a woman, but it's so universal. Mm. So mm. it's archetypal. So, yeah, it's archetypal. So yeah. I think the question now is okay so then which story is outlander Ooh. Ooh. Well, Terry, oh and <laughs> megan for the win we're gonna have to feed her now and give her another drink <laughs> yes. but, uh, is it one story is it a lot of stories Ooh, it so, whole books Ooh, yeah. Okay, so this has been a question. Don's Terry's this has been a territory. Qu- yeah, so I'm the narrative theologian in the group. And so, and this is something that we have grappled with in the first four episodes of yeah. Outlander. But did, um, we didn't really name all seven stories in which, you know, like we didn't do a match kind of through Outlander no, and what each no, of those with, were. No, with the seven stories that are out there. But, um, but they're definitely there. Yeah. Yes, all of them are. And that's that's kind of the thing is that... Outlander isn't just um, it isn't just a story of a historical fiction mm. because there is that. It isn't just a supernatural story because there's that. There are ghosts in the story. Mm. It isn't just a story of science fiction because there's time travel in the story or of science because mm-hmm. later in the books, for the two of you who've not read all the books, there's great information on physics and how time travel works with physics. Mm-hmm. And as a math major, I think that's just so cool. <laughs> and I love physics. But at the heart, I think it's a romance. Mm. And this is something that we have said over and over, and Diana Gabaldon absolutely will not agree with us on. Mm-hmm. But you mean your good friend Diana. Yeah. My good friend Diana. <laughs> and she and I will have tea at some point with some gin. And, <laughs> and we'll talk about this. And we'll talk about whether or not this... But at the central heart of the story, it is a story that's relational. Mm. And I think relationship kind of is messy and nasty and awful and Mm. wonderful and beautiful and life-giving. But it kind of infiltrates every aspect of the story. And, and it's not just Jamie and Claire. It's no, the yeah. entire the entire series is about the relationships between Wean and Jamie and Roger and Bree and well, Roger and, and, and the Claire rest. and Melva. Yeah. You know, that's a yeah. horrible relationship that happens. Yeah. And you guys will get there. Yeah. But um but this 
that one still bothers me to yeah. this day yeah. because it is relational and it is this thing that um, that we continue to to kind of question. Mm. Well, and I mean, I haven't read The Alchemist. Is that what we're mm-hmm. referring to? Mm-hmm. Um, but you're saying like it's it's so you know uh, people can relate to it. Yeah. And I think people see themselves mm. well, especially like people like me. I just I'm just gonna speak for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. People relate to Claire, you know. Yeah, but they do. People also may relate to you know Jamie or Ian or what mm. they're going through or mm. Roger, you know. Um, and you know what really is like living a good and you know moral life if it's not treating your fellow beings, you know, with goodness and kindness, and and they're navigating that and we're navigating that, so it kind of mm. all just mm. makes sense. That so you get a lot of ethical stuff. In Outlander, yeah, and you get a lot of ethical issues. So, because because Claire's story is told in first person, it's told from I am. You have no choice but to be in her brain. Yeah, I'm not even sure I would read it if it weren't honestly. It yeah, would, it would be. A, it would fall flat as a book. I think so like, too. I, I agree with you there. Mm-hmm. But then you get Jamie, but you get it from third person. And you get Roger and Bree and Ian from third person. Mm. You even get a little bit of, um, who is the maidservant to Bree? I can't remember her name. Uh, no, uh, is it Fiona? No, no, no. The no, no, no. maidservant to Bree is, starts with an L. Yeah, anyway, you get her. How do I get, how can I you know get her, her name? Briefly. It's a gin and tonic. Yeah, it's a gin and tonic. Yeah, so you get her briefly mm. as a third person. Lizzie. Lizzie, you're right. There we go, Lizzie. Um, you get her briefly in third person, and so so you're right. So that there's some there's some ethical issue. There's some coming of age when you see with with A with Roger. Mm-hmm. There's a coming of age with Roger. There's a coming Ian. of age with Ian. There's and com- even Jamie, if you yes, take in the right. body of literature and you and you read Virgins and you and then you you know yes. and then the series and then the Scottish Prisoner, you see Jamie's evolution as a character, and I think that is the coming of age for him in the sense of him coming into into his own as a leader and as a. But it's all within the context of his relationship with Claire. Not Virgins. I think it is. I think she writes Virgins later. But it's still within context of the relationship with Claire. I I, I don't I disagree with you on that. Okay. Alright, then we'll mm. disagree. Mm. So. Mm. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, because Claire hasn't entered the picture yet. I, I think we're getting to know getting to know Jamie as a person, what he did even before Claire. Who he is as far as his character goes and how he grows up. He, you know, goes to Goes to fight, join the wars as a mercenary in France, and sees real life. And not that he didn't see real life in Scotland, you know, on the farm. But you know, it's it's different. War is different. Um, yeah. And so you know, there's a, a particular experience that he has, um, violence against women, that forms and shapes him in a profound way that he refers to later, outside of his experience with Claire. Um, in later books, um, that yeah, that I think's a coming a coming of age for him. What are the other seven stories that you think come out in Outlander? Oh gosh, um, so seven stories is usually humans against um, 
humans against the world mm. and we get a lot of that with the war mm -hmm. yeah. the war efforts and um, whether it's Culloden mm. and what's inevitable and what's going to happen there mm. um, or whether it's the Revolutionary War for you guys who haven't gotten into it. It's coming. It's, it's coming. Because <laughs> it's 1770, what? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, so you've got no choice, but the Revolutionary War is going to hit. So you've got that happening. So it's, you know, human against human, mm. as well as human against the great void that's, that's coming. Mm. Um, you've got human against God. Yeah. And or so, that which is okay, beyond so, them. Yeah, so that's always kind of in the background. Yeah. And this is this is why I think clear is always the context. Yeah, okay. Okay? It's because we're dealing with something that's supernatural. Mm. And we're dealing with something that's science fiction. We're dealing with time travel. Mm. And everything always comes back, for me, to the time travel piece. Mm. And wondering, where is God in time in this particular... So is God in time with us? Is God outside of time orchestrating all of this? Mm. Or is is God kind of outside of time and inside of time at the same time? Mm. It, it, it's a very complex thing, but at the beginning of the very first chapter in the very first book, mm. there's the ghost of Jamie looking at Claire mm. in, in the window. Mm. And so I'm thinking Diana Gabaldon has got God outside of time kind of orchestrating things to create an opportunity for Bree to happen. Mm. 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 Um, so, it, so God creates a situation where Bree can happen, also a situation where Frank Yep. Yeah. Happens. Yep. <laughs> well, Frank has to happen or else Brie can't really survive. In right. 1948, for a woman uh, to have a child out of wedlock right. and yeah. to raise that child alone would be very desperate right. for somebody like Brie and for Claire. But, the, you know, the question of what is a fulfilling life and a fulfilling love yep. and all of that, you know. Right. It's a great question. It's a great question. So I think you've got you know, human against God in there as well as, you know, Claire fighting God on the whole Frank thing, but mm -hmm. accepting where she is and who she is and in the context of where she is. Well, and in that archetype too, it doesn't necessarily have to be God in the sense of wh how some people might be thinking about God. I mean, the the you call mean like of the well, yeah. But I mean, <laughs> just even the it, just the super yeah, the supernatural is is could c could be the God in this in this part in the sense of the stones have sucked Claire through time without her right. control or. Yeah, that there's some something that seems to have been orchestrating maybe God, yeah, maybe so not is God. Is there but, a control? But yeah, what what is it beyond ourselves? Is that it an it's something that's beyond one's personal choice necessarily? I mean, Claire does choose to go back at some point, but it's still something that's beyond human capacity, I guess. Right, is what to I mean. be able to to pre consider that Claire would go back looking yeah. for the piece of botany that she's looking for yeah. to to know that what the future is to know what the past is to know it all yeah and c.s lewis would say that god is the author of the past the present and the future and mm -hmm. so would know the beginning and the ending of mm -hmm. the book mm -hmm. and be able to see what's going to happen without having control yep. which i find as an author <laughs> to be fairly 
I, I find that to be somewhat, I would love to sit down with C.S. Lewis one day and have that conversation. Yeah. 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 I know that I shouldn't ask this question. You should always ask, ask this question. Go for it. spoiler question. And Anna, you can like shut your ears. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. okay. I'm okay so, with spoiler. So my, so for Claire, whenever they talk, she talks about like her past and how she feels about God as opposed to Jane, who's like strictly Catholic. Mm. Um, she just is kind of like, yeah, well, it's mm-hmm. not really there for me. Does she does she change in that respect? Yes. yes. And we're going to... So. Claire's spiritual growth is an interesting mm-hmm. an interesting oh, thing. I'm it's so beautiful. interesting. Yeah, it is really beautiful well, to I'm see. I'm definitely hooked for all eight books now. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So, uh, so, so consider in the... Is it the second or the third book? I can't remember. So it's it's definitely in the first book where she sits with Father Anselm. Yeah, at the at the end of the um, yeah when Jamie's um, in the, recuperating in the monastery. at the monastery. Okay. She sits and she sits vigil over the body of Christ. Right, and then she does that. When she goes to Boston. Yeah. Yeah. So she, it's a practice that she continues. She does continue this practice, mm-hmm. and Jamie becomes more interior. Mm. in much of what he does. So we also are going to have a conversation about the um, spiritual journey. That's ice, everybody, for people who are wondering what, <laughs> who's so getting someone's hit. Someone's breaking up a bag of ice. People are breaking bags of ice because we're at a campground and we made ice at the campground. Um, but, uh, but one of the things we would also talk about is the interior life of Jamie as he is, you know, as he is sexual assault victim, yeah. as he is... Um, war veteran as he is so many traumatized, things, traumatized and leader and a still. person of deep faith yes deep and, and continues in his deep faith mm-hmm. how Claire and Jamie kind of grow together in that faith and mm-hmm. understands the universe as something much older than the concept of God but how their spiritualities are completely yeah. different mm-hmm. very different and, and yet they still yeah. manage to be together. Yeah. I'm glad that, that she put that in there because like as an introvert and a very, like a more spiritual person, not necessarily part of any, you know, religious group, like you know, that's that's part of their thought process that mm. makes them people rather than just mm. characters. Yes. Yeah, there's such a deep connection to life. And um, when I think of Jamie, often I think of um, you know, the hunter who prays over... Yeah, the Grawlick prayer oh. that he always prays. It's just so mm-hmm. enriching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. creates the spiritual death. That if you would do this, mm-hmm. what else would you pray about? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, there is a prayer for the food that you need to thank God for the life that is being given to you to... And I remember this from actually college. Um, did you guys ever watch, I took anthropology, and did you ever watch Eskimo Winter and Eskimo Summer? No. No, but it sounds like it should be on the list. <laughs> it should, no. No? <laughs> <laughs> Eskimo Winter and Eskimo Summer, it's, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a academic piece. Okay. Um, of the last group of, um, and Eskimo is not the correct term. Yeah, that's not politically correct anymore. No, it's anymore, not at all, but that's what it's called. Mm. Um, the Intuits uh, uh, natives from that area. Inuit. Inuit, Inuit, yeah, Inuit. sorry. Thank you. The Inuit uh, natives from that area. And the Inuit 
uh, group that goes through it after they have killed a seal and eat the liver first, mm -hmm. uh, raw, mm -hmm. and, uh, and make a prayer over it because mm -hmm. they're grateful. Mm. Well, in the series, though, there is a there is a, a there is a hint, or, or that Jamie is able to, because the when the bear the bear killer scene yes, the bear killer. So Which he you guys would know. No, they wouldn't for because it's in. Um, it's the drums. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's drums bottom book four. Yeah, yeah. but in the bear killer scene, he prays over the bear after he kills it, and the the Native yes. Americans see that and are like, "You're like us. You yes. understand us." Um, and so there's there's a kinship because they recognize his spirituality. Well, and what I love that Diana does, mm -hmm. and as a Catholic she does this beautifully, mm -hmm. is that she she takes the Celtic spirituality mm -hmm. and she pairs it parallel with the Native American spirituality, mm -hmm. and there's there are so many parallels. Yeah. Which we're gonna do an episode on that too. So yes, you know. we'll keep watching. Yeah, we'll yeah. Keep <laughs> <listening>. <laughs> Any other observations? Yeah. Well, this has been an enriching experience, mm. so I should say thank you for opening up the space for the conversation. You yeah. could come to Wild Goose next year and we can do this all over again. Absolutely. Yeah. I recommend it for anyone. Yeah. yeah, it's been a great space. Glad to be a part of it. Yeah. Listening in, I've just learned a lot. <laughs> I've learned a lot of things that are about to happen. Yes. <laughs> Makes me want to go keep reading. I had another convert um, last week when I was up in Sheffield and was talking to her and I was like, oh, you really should read this. And I was like, and we're doing a podcast. And so she's like, tell me everything. I don't mind spoilers at all. In fact, I prefer spoilers. I want to know what's going to happen. Yes. So I was like, all right, here's what's going to happen. And, you know, so it was, it was actually really interesting to have that conversation. Um, and she's like, yeah, okay, this is... This, yeah, I'm interested in that. Let's do that. So, Aglaya, if you're listening, hey. <laughs> All right, and I would be remiss without saying that we are very grateful for Sanford Kogan, who gave us this microphone. Oh, yay! Sanford. Yes, thank you, Sanford. Sanford is an artist in his own right. You can go to SanfordKogan.com. Dot com. Is it C-O-G-A-N? K-O-G-A-N. 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 And Sanford makes these amazing sculptures using lights. Mm. Um, yeah, and uh, he's in Richmond, Virginia. He mm. used to live in Paris for, or outside of Paris for 18 years. Um, and he's uh, just a phenomenal artist as well. So mm. thank you, Sanford, for offering um, the use of this microphone because it allowed this podcast yes. to happen remotely. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Sanford. All right. Bye-bye, right. guys. Bye. 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 That's it for this episode of Outlander Soul. Thanks for listening. We'd really appreciate it if you'd review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts as it helps people to find us. If you listen and like what you hear, please consider supporting us via Patreon. Just click on the Support Us button at outlandersoul.com and give whatever you can afford. Every little bit helps. Also, we'd love to hear your questions, your thoughts, your ideas. Part of the work that we're doing is gathering data on how fans interact with and value Outlander in their lives. And so we're interested in what you have to say. And we know Outlander fans have a lot to say. So please respond to our survey questions found on our website related to this episode or follow links you'll find on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. You can also contact us by email at outlandersoulpodcast at gmail.com or through our website at outlandersoul.com. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you again in a couple weeks. See you then. Bye.